Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from dreary Irvine, California. <laughs> Hi, I'm Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project and the exhibitions coordinator for Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration, now on view at AVA Center, which is the Abrams Ingalls Institute of Visual Art at the University of Alabama. Nice. I'm Seth Rodney. I am a opinions editor at Hyperallergic and a senior critic there as well. And I'm coming to you from Newburgh, where there are leaves all over the place. Leaves all over the place. Mm-hmm. I know why they call it fall now. Wow. <laughs> Uh, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Uh, and today we're talking about decorum um, in social spaces, and I guess probably extending that out. And Stephen um, took the lead with this one and came up with the topic. So, uh, and as he as he pointed out, I will hand it over to him to gloss the, the topic for us. And <laughs> always uh, use word we'll gloss. <laughs> Let me just gloss it right quick, yeah. <laughs> says Travis Webb. Um, so <laughs> I um, have a several podcasts I listen to, and one of them is called Conspirituality. And basically, it's a journalist, a cult researcher, and a philosophical skeptic. And they discuss stories, cognitive dissonances, and cultic dynamics tearing through the yoga, wellness, and new spirituality worlds. I really like this podcast. It features Derek Barris, Matthew Rimsky, and Julian Walker. And what they do is um, kind of like what we do here on American Age. They'll take a topic, but unlike us, they do Patreon episodes. So this bonus episode for us to hear was only like nine minutes, but typically um, this is for the Patreon listeners. But so they were actually talking about spirituality in, uh, excuse me, privilege in wellness spaces. And Matthew Rimsky um, talks about... Um, well, actually, he says it like this. His privilege is often blind and rampant across society, but it is also the term is also the term overused. In this bonus sample, Derek looks at two examples of privilege and wellness spaces, the danger of its overuse and a possible reframing of how to approach the project. And the story he tells us in these nine minutes is that he's teaching a class Upper West Side in New York City and that. He has, as the um, as the teacher, he has a set of rules that he abides by. Take off your shoes when you come in and don't be late. And you can have a, maybe up to 10 minutes to be late. But even he says what that does is it doesn't allow people who are late to actually prep for the warmups to actually get into the more complex poses they might be doing in class that day. So he um, talks about a story where a woman comes in half an hour late. She... Um, he tells her, I'm sorry, you, you can't come in. And she takes her mat and throws it and then sticks her tongue out at him and leaves the room. And that leads into the episode I'm not a part of because I don't know what happened. But what it struck in me is that as of late, and it was more magnified during the pandemic of how decorum is being, I don't know if it was ever there, but it's magnified places where people are just not kind to others around space. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do is discuss decorum, privilege, and the public good, because I think I'm very interested in what Travis and Seth feel about this, because they both have strong feelings about everyone taking care of one each other, being mindful of each other's spaces and so forth. So, um, 
Yeah, that's basically, I'm very, um, I live in Harlem and I have stories. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of stories. <laughs> Word. Uh, Travis, you want to you wanna go first? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I can just sort of quickly add, I, I mean, the topic is certainly uh, an important one to me because it was kind of the pretext for the American age to begin with, right? When I was first talking to Seth about it, which is that people have to talk to each other without shitting on each other. Yeah. Um, and, and people have to be able to disagree without, um, you know, trying to tear each other's guts out. Uh, and, uh, I, I think if we're giving the country a report card, we're failing miserably at that. Um, I think where some of our disagreements on the podcast have come in is that I think the side I would identify with politically, um, is doing it just as much, if not more, currently than uh, was happening under the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have, you know, the pr- progressive side doesn't have a Trump figure, right? No one is as odious as Trump was uh, in in the way that he deployed this just cruelty and lack of civility. Uh, he was a pretty singular figure in that way. Mm-hmm. Um but the decorum thing, I think it, so, and I'll close with this. I think, you know, in your example of the, and I know you have another one, another intimate example, in your example of the the yoga room, physical space, being rude to one another in a physical space mm-hmm. uh, is not helpful in a large, in a large scale community of strangers in which you are very unlikely to know most of the people you see or interact with on a given day. Right. And I don't think it's good in a social space either, in a virtual space. because. Agreed. Those are for the except except for Russian bots. Those are people on the other end, right? They're they're yeah. they're humans on the other side of that phone or that keyboard. So, so anyway, that's my well, my first you know volley in the ring. So okay. So I want to ask Stephen. You mentioned this before the podcast started off the air that you had a situation mm. where you were teaching mm-hmm. a class in New Rochelle, and it was uh, if I <laughs> remember correctly. The worst experience you had as a teacher <laughs> in your in your life. So I just want to hear that story. And I want to point out that it was the only experience I had teaching a class okay. at the at the junior college level. Um, so it was okay. two thousand. Yeah, it was the year two thousand, and I was um, hired as an assistant. You know, just a to teach a class. It was just an instructor, and it was basically it was remedial English. And my class, so these were people who were both returning to college and people who were actually, you know, at, at what we call the typical college age. They were coming in. I also had um, two or three people who were formerly incarcerated as well. And so it was. I was told I was going to, going to get maybe 13 or 14 people, but I got 32. But that number continued Jeez. to shrink Whoa. throughout the, and I suspect, it's so funny because I write about most everything that happens to me, you know, scribble or to an essay or whatever, but I have yet to write about this and I just need to sit down and write about this experience. But I think I had 18 weeks to teach. I remember it started in late January and ended in May. And I remember feeling like, what the fuck? It was a windowless room on the third floor. And, and I remember just trying to get people to be engaged in the work. And there was like maybe 70, uh, 60% of the class was engaged. People came to work. They did their vocabulary tests. They did whatever I gave them, wrote essays and whatnot. And then there were the folks who were like, 
why are you up in my house? I'm like, no, no, no. You came to a school to learn something. <laughs> very, very different, my friend. So one of the experiences I had as opposed in terms of decorum, halfway through the, the um, what seemed like year's semester, a woman comes walking into the class. Actually, she came in and I, she came in like with like like a particular kind of, mm, I belong here, and just sat down in front of me. Like, it was just like, I swear, it could have been filmed. And I said, excuse me. I was like, uh, maybe you're in the wrong class. I said, and she goes, no, I'm in your class. And I was like, okay. I go downstairs and I say, there's this woman, her name, and she just popped up in my class. Can you guys do something here? Because she's not in my class. <laughs> And so I go upstairs and I said, they need to see you downstairs in the office. And she walks out and I really can't do it. But she just sort of like kind of slowly walks out looking at me. I really expected her to go pow with her fingers like a little pow. Because it was that. It was like, I couldn't believe it. So it was so surreal that I wasn't, I don't know if I was worried or scared, but I was just kind of like, kind of like I was watching the scene too. I was like, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. And she doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. And I've had different experiences like that where people assume a space they have no right to assume mm. and mm. had i just said okay you're in my class she probably would have stayed in the class maybe probably wouldn't have come to the class and expected a grade who knows what was on this woman's mm. mind i didn't give a fuck i just want her out of my class <laughs> and because i was having enough trouble anyway just like i said um teaching Helping folks, you know, grasp language and how powerful it could be. All the wonderful things that, you know, language can do, you know. And mm. so that, along with a bunch of other car crash things, like I was like, I'm never teaching again. I will come in for a day. I'll look at you for two hours and I'm out of there. And you'll never see me again. But um, mm. <clears throat> but it was the structure of it, too. And the reason why I bring it up is because. I remember thinking at the time, but also as I link it to other experiences I've had, Again, that people assume spaces that they have no right to assume and they get angry with you. And I go, why are you mad at me? You ran over my foot or, you know, or you did. Mm. So like and, I, and as I mentioned earlier, during the um, it was always there. There's always an element, I think, in New York City where someone is assuming a space either on the train or walking down the street that honestly, we're all sharing spaces. There are motorbikes, mm -hmm. people riding motorbikes on the sidewalk. And it. Mm -hmm. my friend Sean, who I love dearly, has the shortest fuse in history. <laughs> it's just a <laughs> short fuse. And so if I'm not pulling him away from a, a, you know something, I'm joining in. I'm ready to fight too. And, it's, <laughs> and then both of us will say, this isn't worth it. This isn't what it's about. This is not about this moment. It's about living in a place where... The, the trash isn't being picked up regularly, that there are more people using drugs and folks out on the street who are not doing well, that there are a lot of businesses clo have closed and are closing. There are all these other mitigating circumstances that tighten the space, that tighten right. it, right? And that was right. before, like I said, the pandemic. It was New York City just feeling like this is unsustainable. And the next bitch that walks into me, I'm going to knock her ass out. That kind of energy. And I don't like that, you know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm a Midwesterner. I'm like, oh, excuse me. Did I step on your foot? You know? Um, and also, I feel like a fight needs to be a fight. You know? I feel like a fight needs to be a fight. So I'm just not, I'm going to choose my fights. Yeah, and so, but I want to know what decorum moments 
well, not even moments. I want to frame it in a way that you can kind of be open with your story telling about it, because I feel like people are becoming less concerned about the spaces, about public spaces now than ever in my life. And I came from the Midwest where the facade was people were nice, but at times they could be really quite cruel. But but at the very least, they played sure. they played the game. And now I feel like I'm not yeah. seeing that as much anymore. And I wonder if it has something to do with online culture and other things. Well, that's actually where I went to just uh, two seconds ago. Mm-hmm. As I was listening to you, Stephen, I kept flashing on a few things that I'd seen on uh, various news sites in the mm-hmm. past few days. The one that's top of mind is a woman, and I want to say somewhere in the Midwest, uh, okay. but I may be wrong about that, who complained about the soup that she ordered from someplace being too hot, so hot that they met, melted the plastic lid. And apparently she didn't feel that the person she spoke to at said restaurant mollified her enough or gave enough of an explanation for uh-huh. the situation to uh, make her feel that she was heard. So she comes into, the, she went into the restaurant. I think it was, I think the, the person who told the story, um, the victim, um, explained that it was 10 or 15 minutes later she came to the restaurant and threw the hot soup in her face. <sighs> mm-hmm. She has since been arrested for assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those situations where I'm just thankful that there is such a thing as the police force as much oh, as yeah. they screw it up sometimes. Like that woman needed to be arrested. Um, yeah, it's Texas. So, here, here, <laughs> <laughs> it's Texas. My vote was Florida. I had to find out. It's Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, that would have been my second. Well, guess. I mean. Well, but, but wait, wait, I, mean, hold, that, hold, I mean, come on. No, no, okay, you know, okay. Stuff uh, like that happens at every stage. No, of course it does. No, you're right. No, you're right. That's the joke. No, that, no. A joke within no, a joke within yeah, a joke. That, yeah, yeah. But also yeah, 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 to yeah, sure. Florida. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, it's not a joke within a joke. There's, there's one note you're playing with that. Which is the bad things happen in the South, and they don't no, happen specifically in the same Florida. Way in the and I didn't say the other and, part that and, you're about to Texas. say. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> no, no, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Implied. The the point I want to make is that um, I don't know that these acts of public cruelty mm. took are taking place any more now that is okay. with greater frequency. I think. Two things about online culture. One is that we see it more now, and it's yes, more visible I agree. to me. Yep. When something mm-hmm. happens in, For let's sure, say, yeah. Ga- Galveston, Texas, yeah. as opposed to just down the block, where I can physically see it, right? Yes, I agree. Also, with that. there's a way in which online—I uh, don't want to say online culture. It's a little bit too broad a brush, but mm-hmm. certain spaces within online culture celebrate this kind of violent cruelty. Oh, yeah. Like, the, there's a way in which TMZ, for example, mm-hmm. TMZ is all mm-hmm. about, oh, my God, did you know what happened? What's it? Mm-hmm. Former running back for the for the Chicago Bears just beat up his girlfriend and threw right. her into a TV. I'm like, yeah. oh, yes, this is horrific, but there's a way in which TMZ is like, 
Oh, uh, oh, this is, oh, this is going to get a lot of clicks. Oh, a lot oh, of people yeah. are going to visit this site now. Like, and, and there's a way in which that's craven, right? That, 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 and, and I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, the kind of thing I tell myself is the, the, one of the dooms of our culture, one of the, one of the sort of end, end of, um, the end is near kind of scenario. <laughs> end of days. Me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, we profit from the things that are slowly poisoning us. Like, I mean, mm. TMZ works mm-hmm. because because people do click. Because people watch, right? Yep. And, they, mm-hmm. and they and and they and they get advertising dollars for the people who advertise on their side. So they are really profiting from our misery, from our collective misery. Mm, I think so. And I think that 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 is the sort of end of days scenario for me for our culture when we when we when we profit from things that are poisonous. So one of the most potent non-mainstream left critiques of the Trump administration Mm. and the left of the left, uh, Corey Robin is an example of this. And there are a few others. Wait a minute. Is that the representative from, um, no, Corey, uh, Corey Robin wrote The Reactionary Mind, which was basically an explanation for how there is a consistent thread in conservative discourse from essentially Edmund Burke all the way. He updated the book to Trump. Um, and Robin, he's a, I do not agree with him on several points, but he is a very compelling writer and, and puts forward a, a pretty powerful argument. And his main critique of the left during the Trump administration, and he, I am not, uh, glo- I am not pigeonholing or glossing when I say the left. He himself deploys the rhetoric of left and right, and actually thinks that there is some utility in it. Um, that one of the his main criticisms of the left was that really what uh, people were upset about with Trump were manners as opposed to actual policies. So mm-hmm. it was the way he said things, the mm-hmm. way he talked about things, mm-hmm. quiet part out loud, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought that, you know, I didn't go all the way with him in that criticism. I think that there were other um, somewhat unique things about the Trump administration, but his rhetoric and his style of, of, how he advanced uh, traditional right-wing policies was really what upset people on the left the most. This is the Lincoln Project, et cetera. Sorry, can I just interrupt you for a second? Please jump in. The question I want to ask is, Mm -hmm. what evidence does he present to back up this thesis? How would Uh, you know that? So he he uses, if if you look in the final chapter of the book, he gives certain examples of that. And he's fairly active on social media. So you could like, follow, you know, and, and so he'll, he'll engage with certain things, but you know, it's, it's not that, um, Trump, uh, wanted to have tighter border controls or wanted to have a more aggressive immigration policy. Uh-huh. It's that he said it the way he said it coming down the escalator. You know, these are, you know, tr- traditional. So for example, uh, here's would be another, I think really, uh, relevant example for how he would describe how the left kind of bland, blinded itself is that during the Obama administration, they were reluctant and 
and in fact decided not to sell arms to the Ukraine because they thought it would provoke Putin in Russia. I was like Russia, yeah. And yeah. And the Trump administration flooded the Ukraine with weapons, sold millions of dollars of weapons to the Ukrainians to aid in their defense against Russia. Or what, you know, maybe it wasn't because of noble reasons, whatever. I'm not getting into the intent. But yet, because for four years, all anyone could talk about was how Trump was colluding with Russia, this story wasn't talked about at all, even though the United States was in some ways ratcheting up the tensions in the region, as any other Republican president would have likely done. A Donald Rumsfeld would have advocated for this. A Dick Cheney would have advocated for this. So Trump was in many ways a fairly typical mm-hmm conservative politician except for his rhetoric so this is this is okay. robin's argument mm-hmm. uh which i think i think has uh, i think has some merit so i i think he undersells just to put my two cents in i think he undersells the impact of that rhetoric on a large-scale uh country like the united states and the corrosive nature of that rhetoric but mm-hmm. but that's not you know that's not what he's about so m- my my point in prefacing Coy Robin is that I feel like we're super good at pointing out the things that we find odious in other people's sanctimony and moral celebration and indignation in public and social media spaces. But we're really bad at seeing it in our selves and we're really bad at seeing it when we ourselves are doing it or when we ourselves are it are creating an inhospitable space mm-hmm. for people who who don't feel like um who might already feel like they don't belong and i'll bring it into something personal just mm-hmm. now in the podcast the ready at hand joke about texas or florida now that doesn't mean that we can't joke about people in other parts of the country, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Jokes are jokes. Like I, I would defend that to, you know, to the end of time. Mm-hmm. I think you get to, you literally, as long as you, as long as you can make fun of everything, you can make fun of anything. Mm. But I, I, I really am doubtful that someone that listens to, even relatively benign progressive discourse and was from a part of the country like Texas or Florida, or God forbid had an R next to their, their voter registration. Would it all feel welcome in progressive spaces? How are we not deeply implicated in the very thing that you rightly, I think Stephen find distasteful Uh, we're on the same side of this i find that distasteful like your experience in that classroom sounds shitty i can't imagine the amount Mm -hmm. of like i mean on one point you kind of have to admire the chutzpah of the woman to walk into class in the middle of the term and sort of take ownership of the room it was cinematic yeah yeah. yeah. i was like oh like it's a fairly impressive I could not muster that kind of performance. So mm-hmm. and there's, you know, there's a part, even though I would have, I would have been as put off as you are, if not more. Um, I, I do it from a certain sense of kind of admire the ability to do something like that. So it, 
And if we can share in our distaste for that kind of ownership of that space, shouldn't we maybe like turn the lens on how we are recreating the same kind of hostile spaces for large swaths of society? But well, I do I, see. I, can I? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Stephen. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I, go ahead. <laughs> um, the question, I, I mean, not the question, but it was the thought. I think that we're not very good at it, but I do see examples of people who are good at it. And I also feel like when you say that some people who may not be, um, mm. who may not be a progressive, may not feel uncomfortable in progressive spaces, I'd like to think that that's basic. That's how I feel about folks who aren't progressive. I feel like that they make a very hostile space. So I think that you're right in terms of maybe I'm I'm seeing it both yeah. ways. I'm definitely seeing it both ways. Oh yeah. But I, but I, I see kinder people on the left. I do, and I, and I won't say that the right doesn't have kind people because of of course they do. It's being able to talk person to person though, because the larger piece of it, when you were talking about TMZ earlier, TMZ is going to make money. They don't care who they offend. They they they're ambulance chasers. I remember Absolutely. reading a piece in the um, New Yorker, and they admitted it. They were like, no, we're just going to pay for stories. Not a big deal. Um, but I think mm-hmm. the. I think I told you guys this already. I was working for a television station in college and they said they didn't have video for something, then they wouldn't roll it. Now, it didn't matter Uh what the story was. Right. So like those, I joke about Florida and I joke about Texas. Well, actually, don't joke much about Texas, but I joke a lot about Florida because a lot of the stories that I see coming towards me about people and not so great behavior, and this was way before the pandemic, they were Florida focused. I like to think that I can make fun of but, Ohio and New York and other places uh, okay. as well. So go to your point. And can I, I apologize. T- t- Steph, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, just toss a little thing. That's an editorial choice. The idea that oh, only yeah. bad stories come from Florida is, I mean, it's, it's the butt of the joke, Florida man. Like, I mean, th- th- this is, but this is a choice. This is a, f- this is a filter. Like you would, you'd, in order to make the claim that you're making in this instance, you'd literally have to look at crime rates by state and compare them negative outcomes mm. like that, but that's not the level we're talking about. And I'm fine with that, but right. to use, to use a filtered, you know, click take survey of where bad things happen and say and use that as a basis of judgment for the millions of people that live in Florida versus the millions of people that live in, as you said, Ohio or the tens of millions that live in California or whatever is is an exa- I feel like is an example of what I'm saying. So I, um, like- I want to mm-hmm. jump in here, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I may. See. So a couple of things uh, I want to get into. One is, can we, I want to go back a little bit to Corey Robbins. Is that correct? Is that his name? Corey Robbins. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so, so th- there's a couple of things I find troublesome about his claim, at least as, as you've articulated as I, it. As I, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. I still don't get how he would have evidence that, because he's making a, a very provocative claim. Mm. I don't understand what evidence he would be able to present. I haven't heard it yet. What evidence he would be able to present that would show that it's not the foreign policy moves or the policy moves in general that pissed off the left, 
but the way that Trump said things. Because, right, we're talking mm-hmm. about gauging people's reactions, right? We're talking about, and, 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 it's, and he's, and he's using the term, as you pointed out, the left and using the terms mm-hmm. the left and the right. How do you, how do you canvas a geopolitical, uh, 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 group? in such a way as to make an accurate assessment of what they are feeling, like what they're responding to. And, and, and here's the, you know, dash. When Trump did things like weaponize the foreign service, weaponize vaccine rollout to benefit okay, him so politically. So, so, I mean, there's a, but there's so a, there's a variety me, of things well, no, that no, he did but, that are, that oh, are no, really, but, and, and I want to say this too. And, it's, it's a, to counter the claim that it's about the way he said things. The problem, part of the problem with the, the Trump presidency was that he moved, generally moved, um, government and law and our sense of fealty to the law to a place of what Robert Morton, Robert Merton would call anomie, normlessness. And that's super mm-hmm. dangerous, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know how you make that, cl- I don't know how you make that claim. How, how what evidence does he present? Well, so I would say two things. I would say one, uh, let me just for one final time say, this is not my argument. I know, I know. I do. I, so I do. However, I do think the argument has merit. So I don't want to like, I don't want to do that kind of like bullshit move. So I do think the mar- argument has merit. So let, let me, let me defend it somewhat. So a, the example I just gave about the Ukraine. So it is absolutely contiguous with Bush two, Reagan, Bush one, foreign policy, that we would aggressively sell weapons to allies or even potential allies in order to move and advance our foreign policy goals. It would have typically been something that the left would have done reluctantly or not not in a noble way but in a more targeted way they tend to use the carrot approach right is is in any like sort of weapons you know sales tend to be done um with a lot of rhetorical cover i'm not saying that they don't do it of course they do absolutely you know drone strikes except except mm-hmm, those aren't weapon mm-hmm. sales but you know, we we do plenty of violent things on the le- the the left does plenty of violent things around the world. Of course, mm-hmm. that's something that was absolutely typical of administrations before it. This was never covered in the legacy media outlets because they were so preoccupied with the Steele dossier and these various accusations, you know, p tapes and all this kind of stuff, which at this point have turned out to not be true. So that would be one example. And Robin undoubtedly would list several others. And if I had, you know, if it wasn't off the top of my head, I probably could come up with a couple myself. Well, let me toss in another one. So the, um, the, uh, our border policies. So Trump was, you know, I mean, just with the most elevated rhetoric was condemned for, you know, uh, his policies at the border and, you know, like sort of child separation, which I want to just, you know, again, say I, I myself was in, very indignant at that and would be indignant under any administration. 
um, mm-hmm. separating children, even though this is an actual problem at the border. I do understand people will take children to, uh, in order to get past uh, immigration authorities. We know that they do this as a tactic. Trump's policies were roughly, so those those camps where people were housed were not built by the Trump administration. Many of them were built by the Obama administration. Right. And under the Biden administration, we've, was it 1.7 million Haitians or something like that, that, yep. that have mm-hmm. actually been flown back to right. their country? Neither one of those things has been covered at the same pitch or the same moral outrage. But be clear, They've though, been, Travis, though the left has a, definitely helped, tried to hold Biden's feet accountable to this. So I just wanted to say, yes, it wasn't reported you that feel, way. Okay. No, no, wait. Okay, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. I just I'm wanted, talking about the media. We're okay. talking about the media. Yeah, right. no, we're talking about the media right now. Do are are you are you making the argument that the media has covered the no. Biden administration? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Not the, they not have a, not. not the like, same pitch. Just, Absolutely, I do agree with that. I just want to say that there there has been a response, and then there oh, continues yeah, not, to be a response. Yeah, yeah I agree. Mm-hmm. And and I would and something that I have tried to work on in my own language lately in order to avoid doing the very thing that I am being critical of is mm-hmm. that. The legacy, let's even just use the term legacy media, which I think has real explanatory power, which is why I use it. Nice. You know, the New York Times employs thousands of reporters. Like, of course, not all the thousands of the reporters have one view or one take or one ideology around all this. Of Mm -hmm. course they don't. Um, You know, the legacy media employs tens of thousands of people. Of course, they are not like one unified Mm -hmm. ideological unit. And that sometimes creeps into my language. And, you know, I'm doing my best to sort of weed that out. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as so, Seth, those would be two examples. Undoubtedly, there are more now. And so the way that the way that that argument fits in to sort of what we're talking about. And I would, you know, I I think it's important to register our own discomfort with that idea, right? Because, it, it, go ahead, you're, please jump in. I, I've said a lot. Well, the thing is, Travis, I, I, I'm going to, to reiterate my earlier question in a, with a different kind of emphasis. I still don't understand how Robbins is gathering the evidence that would put, because here's, here's what you've said so far. There what are, are the several, two, what are the two, what are the, those two examples don't fit your criteria? Wait, 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 one, wait one second. Let me, let me develop the, the, the. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. L- let me stipulate that those examples make sense to me and, and I'm in sort of vague agreement with them and they're more, okay. right? Like, let's say there are like several more. I okay. still don't understand because there's a couple of things that are being conflated here that, that maybe shouldn't be. I still don't understand how he's gauging. If you're taking how legacy media responded to Trump, right, and talking about the, the, the degree of attention they paid him versus Obama versus Biden and the kind of policies that would have been normalized under any sort of Republican administration, mm-hmm. I still don't understand how that is taken as evidence for how the left responded to Trump's policies versus the way he talked about things. Because what I'm, because what I'm hearing is evidence for um, understanding how legacy media, which is only partly representative of the left, responded 
in skewed ways to the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. So that's that's already those those things are being conflated, and that's 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 that's, 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 I, that's that seems incorrect. Once to me. you're done, just as a point, as, once you're done, I have a response for that. But please, okay. Go on. And then and then I still don't get how because that doesn't seem particularly valid to me. It's like I still don't get like how this person Robbins is gauging how the quote unquote left had more of a problem with it's 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 not none of this is evidence of that to me. It's like, you're not telling me how a particular group of people are responding to someone more for what they said than what, rather what they did. It just, the, the methodology that he's using to go about making that claim doesn't, doesn't hold water. To, you see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't seem I to hold do. water. I, mm-hmm. I have, I have a, I have uh, two responses and then I'll maybe kick it back to Steven. So, uh, a, I would say as evidence, though now I'm, I don't know that Robin produces this as evidence, look at the voter turnaround, turnout in 2020. If Trump was a fairly normal Republican president policy-wise, why did he incite the electorate to such grandiose levels of participation in 2020? That was clearly not because Biden was so electrifying to the electorate. So, so it, so they would have been responding to that response would have been motivated by his rhetorical odiousness. How, his but, how do you, but how do you know that? Uh, but, why, but, do you, why because, is it not, not it? Why is it not okay, a, so, the way he weaponized the vaccine rollout or the way he did? Okay. So like, there's okay, a so, list of so, things he okay. did. Okay, right? so the second the se- the second thing the second thing I would say uh-huh. is a is a bit more metatextual, okay. and that is that is the level of your peak and the the degree of evidence you're requiring for this claim does not apply to other ideas that you hold. So you would be much it would be much so let, let's weapon. What does it mean to weaponize the vaccine rollout? What does it mean to weaponize it? It means that he, instead of creating a plan which would essentially make sure that states had full access to um, the resources of the federal government in a way that didn't favor um, administrations that were uh, more, uh, what's the way to say it, more... um, uh, sympathetic, amenable, sympathetic, yeah. amenable to um, uh, uh, the Trump administration's positions. Like he didn't do any. Like it was very possible for him to do what essentially what the Biden administration has done, which is find a way to nationalize a plan um, for rolling out the vaccine, for rolling out testing. And he didn't do any of that. He seemed what he seemed to be doing actually instead was favoring states, particular state administrations, um, uh, with resources. Can I ask, mm-hmm. not in a penny, but what evidence do you have? Uh-huh. Let's throw it back to the same. So this is, this is kind of my point. Right. Um, what evidence do you have? Mm-hmm. What, what examples can you give mm-hmm. from stated policies mm-hmm. that he was restricting access to states mm-hmm. based on their political orientation right. and did not believe that states 
have the primary responsibility mm-hmm. to administer the health of their to the the health of their citizens as they are empowered to do under most instances which is why we have the medical system that we have or I'm sorry medic no medicare yeah which is why we have the medicare system that we have it's administered by at the at the state level mm-hmm. so why is one a weaponization mm-hmm. and the other not just again standard conservative policy which is that you kick most things to the states that the left wants to be federalized mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now these these are this is this is a this is a straight ahead uh disagreement on how the left tends to see solutions to problems versus the right so the, the yeah. left wants to federalize most solutions the state and the and the conservatives want to distribute the solutions to individual states to manage. Right. Why is it what? Why is it this ideologically mm-hmm. charged mm-hmm. version of that? Mm-hmm. I feel like that supports Robin's argument. Well, so you've asked me a couple of questions that, frankly, we're kind of going to have to put a pin in this because I think you're right. You're right to ask that question. I can marshal some evidence, but I have to go look at some things. Fair enough. Uh, right. I, you don't. You like, don't I, have I, the I vaccine evidence off the top of your head. Yeah, of course. I don't. I, don't. Sure. I mean, I remember no reading through the last four years. Sure. You know, or last two years, I should say. Like, there were these moments and stuff that was reported where I thought, of course, okay, what 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 they're doing administratively is just flat out wrong. Um, Mm-hmm. That let, being let me, said, let me let me that let being me, said, and I can. Yeah, yeah, no, no, please go ahead. No, 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 no. Actually, I, if you were going to bring it back, I was going to try and bring it back to what we were talking about. So, right, you, that's what I that's can, what I wanted to do. Okay. So, I think that that, that what we're doing um, right now is we're fundamentally disagreeing on, um, as we have been doing for past little while, about ways in which the left understands or responds to the Trump years, and mm-hmm. I want to say that. It's very possible that uh, I am holding Corey Robbins to uh, a high standard. I don't think it's a higher standard necessarily than the other things that I believe in, but I, I just... Selective. It, I don't think it's high. You have lots of things where you have a very high standard of evidence. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's selective. Okay. Okay. That's okay. All. okay. All yeah. right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but um, I think it's just, it's just this would need to be like a longer discussion. But I want to say that I don't find the at least the stated methodology or the, the methodology that I've intuited from what you've said about this argument. I don't find that that you know, is val- it. it's valid. It doesn't. Okay. It just doesn't okay. make sense to me. But I want to get back to the Florida and Texas thing because I think mm-hmm. that that's a very that's a very valid thing to say. Here's my response. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the other day, Harag and I, my boss Harag Vartanian, uh, had a Twitter talk. And mm-hmm. we, it was a sort of critics roundtable, like, hey, what have we been seeing this fall? How do we mm-hmm. respond to that? What's been great? What's, what's been not so great? And I talked about going to some outdoor performance during Performa, which is a, uh, uh, uh performance festival. Uh huh. It takes place, okay. I think, uh, throughout the month of, I want to say throughout the month of October. And I saw a couple, uh, performative art or like music or performance performance oh, okay. okay so performance oh, okay. is different from like yeah these other art forms that are performed arts because performance really is about as one 
artist said to me, it's about being present and being transgressive. Mm. So okay. you, okay. so okay. it's a, it's a kind of, it's a different thing. With the mattress, with the mat, with the yes. mattress throughout. Emma, okay. Emma Solkowitz's yeah, yeah. mattress piece yeah. where um, okay. mm-hmm. she carried around the mattress that she said, she claimed she had been sexually assaulted on mm-hmm. with her everywhere on campus for right. Right. their entire senior year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. Um, I went to see Kevin Beasley's thing. And on this talk with Harag, I told him, uh, I you know, went to this performance, which is down in the Lower East Side, uh, at the intersection of, I want to say, like, <sighs> Rivington Street and something else. And uh, there were these, it, the performance was terrible. I'm just, you know, long story shorter, mm-hmm. it was awful. <laughs> but what I remember, sta- what I remember particularly dis- <laughs> disliking about the experience for me was standing around and seeing all these People who like clearly in the arts crowd, well tailored uh, jackets and trousers, big glasses, and Harag chimed in asymmetrical haircuts. I mean, we were laughing and making fun of ourselves (laughs) and the art scene at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm completely willing to do that. I am completely willing to go there, and and because I am, I'm comfortable with every now and again making fun of people from Florida or making fun of people from Texas. And and by the same token, I laugh. I'm one of the people who laughs the loudest when people in TikTok videos or whatever make fun of Jamaicans or uh, send up Jamaicans for being the angriest people on the planet. (laughs) Like you know, like I find that hilarious so i'm totally i want to just say to to our listeners yeah every now and again i'm gonna do something that will sound rhetorically that will sound unfair to you because i'm making fun of people i do not know intimately um Mm -hmm, based mm -hmm. on completely based on stereotypes by the same token i am completely willing to make fun of myself okay so i i want to verify that that is a thousand percent true i mean obviously we've been friends for decades that is absolutely true that um, that your a sense of humor is capacious in that way for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, would you feel comfortable if someone from the South, Texas or Florida, came to the same art performance and had they you know a distinctive accent that you know identified them from that part of the country and had a MAGA hat on and made the same jokes? About asymmetrical haircuts and big glasses. And, Interesting. And, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're 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 fucking with me because you you <laughs> threw in the MAGA hat, and that's not that wasn't necessary because what you do you're part forcing of the me story. to do. What if the MAGA hat is a performance piece? What no, if the no, MAGA come hat on, is a come performance on, Travis. piece? No, I, that's not I how am, you mean. I though. am that's, actually. That's no, not what you. I, that's not I what you getting actually, at. No, I, what I'm getting at is that you specifically said the point of performance art is to be provocative in a public space. Mm-hmm. To be transgressive. That is the point of the... Mo- transgressive. That is, that is what... Yeah, tra- okay, thank you. And they are different. I agree. How is a MAGA hat not that? Because the MAGA hat isn't about... This is what I think performance it's art It's a trap. Really Go ahead, it's Seth. Really- but it's a trap. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, I, I, so. it's a trap. <laughs> I'm like, it's a trap. <laughs> I'm going to go in. Go in. Go in. I'll throw down a rope. But I'll throw a rope with a key on it. <laughs> uh, run away. Um, okay. I, so, so here's the answer. What performance art does best for me are two things. One is it makes us re- hyper aware of those fugitive moments of meaning and 
those um, small things that are really beautiful and timeless and um, is deeply evocative of the human spirit, um, but tend to be hidden, right? Like those small moments. Mm -hmm. Like it, I think performance art can bring those to the surface mm -hmm. better than a lot of other kinds of art forms. I also think that it can make us like put us slightly outside of ourselves. So we like, we're used to doing our day-to-day -day thing. And then some performance artist is doing like chair dips in the middle of mm -hmm. a busy street. And mm -hmm. we suddenly sometimes, we suddenly somehow realize that, oh, that thing is possible in this world. Like, like the street is actually a street where people sometimes come in and out and it's not just about mm -hmm. cars. It's not, it's, so th there's a way in which it just sensitizes us, right? To, to these, to what's possible in mm -hmm. in in, mm -hmm. in in public space, public and private space. Someone wearing a MAGA hat isn't trying to do that. I, I would I would argue they're not trying to sensitize me to anything or point out something that is um, some sort of like clandestine, um, but 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 um, somehow um, important um, aspect mm -hmm. of the way we live. All I think what a MAGA hat person is doing is, a person who's wearing a, a MAGA hat is what they're doing is they're declaring a certain kind of um, tribal or political, you know, tribal um, uh, uh, identification loyalty, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they're trying to, in in many cases, piss off the libs, right? Like I want to, mm -hmm. I want to drink some lib, lib tart tears, <laughs> like you know that. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing, that's that's actually antithetical to what I think performance artists are trying to do. So I have um, a, it's not, it was actually not a trap. It was very funny, but it's not a trap. Um, <laughs> it's it really, no, no, it's really, this didn't occur to me till we started talking. Mm. Um, and then I'd like to kick it back to Stephen. I, I said that before, but which is that um, to me, it, it seems plausible that performance art is intentionalizing something that is not normally filled with intention, which is our elemental motivations to act in a symbolic world. And that, in fact, the emotional power of someone reacting, overreacting, dramatically interrupting a classroom or the flow of traffic is because they are overwhelmed with a feeling <clears throat> that they cannot properly symbolize and is not filled with the kind of self-conscious intention that you are ascribing to the artist. But the reason that that art works is because it is symbolizing what is a basic, elemental, sophisticated, even if, like, sort of sophisticated in an evolutionary sense, crude in a human sense, and that they're not that different, actually. That that one, as I said, just to re that one is filled with intention, and the other is filled with just kind of an overflow of emotion that's that's undirected. Like I do think that your characterization <laughs> of people who wear MAGA hats, 
I think is probably true for most. And but the ways that you described it, it would you would have to do. I would have to have a pretty long conversation with Mattress Girl, and I know I, I only say that because I don't remember her name. Mm-hmm. Emma Sulkowitz. Um, uh, thank you, Emma mm-hmm. Sulkowitz. I would have to have a pretty long conversation with Emma Sulkowitz. Okay. To to be convinced that there was not a stick it to the asshole that I had that shitty experience with was not a part of her piece. You're absolutely right about that. That's what I think. That's abs- I don't know if yeah. Emma would own up to that, but that's absolutely what I think. But at the and same so time- isn't that very isn't that at least on a spectrum with what's going on with with the other? Right, right. But I would say this, and this mm. is why I've, 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 I think I've said this before. I don't know if I said this publicly. I thought the mattress piece was terrible. You did, and mm-hmm. you that's part of the yeah, reason. Yeah, you and I have talked about that. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I think it's terrible, precisely because because what what someone does when they, I mean, the, the chair dips. It in fails the to be fully transmuted in the way that you described it. No, but even more than that, even more than <sighs> Performance, that. Performance. I mean, it, yeah, but even more than that, it's like. Um, I mean, the problem is I, I didn't use a very compelling example when I when I talked about the chair dips in the high. This is something that Ayana Evans had done, mm-hmm. and I've th- let me let me use another example. Ayana Evans had a piece where she basically had a bunch of people show up for her performance, and then she had us tie a rope around ourselves, and we don't know why she was doing this, but she wrapped a rope around us. And had us mm. and led us in a, into um, singing a version of the. Um, Stephen, help me out here. The Black, um, um, pl- not Pledge of Allegiance. The, the black, National um, Anthem or something? The African The Black National Anthem. Negro National Anthem is what it was typically yes. called. Yeah. Right. And it's Lift every voice mm-hmm. and sing? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So we, had, we were doing this and we were all like, well, I don't know why we're doing it. You know, I'm next to a stranger. We're being pulled tighter mm-hmm. and tighter by this rope around us. Mm-hmm. Sing- I, mm-hmm. I don't really know the words. And then she says, okay, I'm going to get on top of y'all. Y'all need to lift me up. And so she, she calls, she somehow gets someone in front to like lift her. And so she's got us holding her up. And then we mm-hmm. march out into the street with her singing. And then we march back into the space with her singing. And that's how the piece ends. And it's not until I was writing it up for the New York Times. I'd done this profile on Ayana last summer. Mm-hmm. That I realized mm-hmm. that, that what she was doing was simply finding a way to physicalize the idea of lifting a black woman up. Like mm-hmm. that's what she was, and we had to be in that tight of formation for it to work. Interesting. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. When someone does something like that, that is for me like the opposite of the person wearing the maga hat, because she's not trying to provoke us in a way of like needling us or or saying I'm going to like transgress your space in order for you to feel uncomfortable. No, she's what she's doing is she's saying I'm going to find a way to sort of transgress the sort of social norms in order to do this other thing, which is actually rather beautiful and rather but she's, unexpected. But she's, she's needling the symbolic space, which to be clear, I'm 100% on board with. It mm-hmm. needs to be needled, right? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty awful history that we've, we've managed to write in the West. Yes. But, but, but she is doing, or at least to, as far as we've discussed it, a version of what I just talked about, which is that she is provoking, but she's provoking a fully symbolic, signified space, which is this reified history of the West and this reification of whiteness and blackness. Mm-hmm. It's a self-conscious, you know, sort of beautiful as you described it. It, it sounds compelling, mm-hmm. um, but 
I don't, I see it as it's not, you know, I see it as contiguous with the other and not a full disjunction. So, and, and mm. maybe you're not convinced by that, but uh, Stephen, please. I mean, you, I, Do I have I, you to know, defend I, the MAGA hat guy. I have to defend the MAGA no, hat guy. No, no, I have no, to no, him. no, no, because, because the very thing that you guys talked about, I would have to have a conversation with him or her or they about why they wore mm. the hat. Right. And just because mm-hmm. right. your compelling right. and very thoughtful mm-hmm. engagement with the idea of performance art, which I like, but also like, it's like, well, it's your take at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And you're an mm-hmm. informed take and in continuously mm-hmm. informing your take. But I was mm-hmm. thinking about that mega guy and was like, well, what if he were doing some kind of thing that was self-conscious, that was like thinking right. all the things right. that you said about Ayana. And I also right. wanted to say this, mm-hmm. what did you think of Ayana's piece prior to sitting down and writing about it? Like what kind of thoughts mm. were you holding mm. before you got to the mm. um, the screen or the you know the computer? Well, I, I I wasn't really sure. I mean, there's other stuff that Ayana has done that's been really where the meaning is relatively clear to me relatively quickly. Okay, like I'm like, oh, okay, I get that. Like she's dealing with issues of like um, black women's work being ignored, um, okay, or being taken for granted, like, you know, that whatever. But that piece. I mean, you know, writing is a kind of thinking, right? So yes. it wasn't mm-hmm. until I sat down to write about it that it like kind of gelled for me. It's like, oh, we're lifting a mm. black woman up. Oh my God, right. Um, mm. um, I think you're right, Stephen. I think that I would, I mean, and it's possible, Travis, that in a certain, and you know, here like there's a whole bunch of like parentheses, right? Like in contextualizing this, yeah. like in, a, in an art space, where we might be expecting this kind of thing and someone from someone from the south with a profound accent is wearing a maga hat and doing something in a space that is even more transgressive than wearing a maga hat like that may be quite intentional and it may yeah. be that there there's they bring to the surface something that is actually really useful for us to think about and look at exactly absolutely possible absolutely but then mm-hmm. take away some of the parentheses right like not intentional like not 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 coming into the space um um and then into an art space um doing this at like i don't know the local piggly wiggly because mm-hmm. they're really whatever about <laughs> um whatever biden just did you know what i'm saying like there are layers yeah. these these feel like manners to me i'm sorry Stephen. go ahead you're about no to just saying very briefly that we're arguing for more space right mm. not less mm. Mm. when mm-hmm. it comes to what I'm thinking about decorum and what I'm thinking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. when it comes to like, I think you have a very enviable job, Seth, because I just critique and, you know, people and art by myself. <laughs> I don't do it for an audience. <laughs> and I think that the enviable part of it is that you constantly get to sharpen your um, your sensibilities around what's possible. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like that. Um, but I think the, I'm, the what I think what I'm doing sometimes is arguing for more space. But what I'm taking mm. from this, though, is taking Travis's idea of being comfortable with not even being comfortable, but the idea if I can make fun of the South or make fun of Florida or dot, dot, dot. Do I have to in the same conversation go and, you know, those people in Ohio, mm-hmm, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Because I don't know if that. No, of course. You right. Don't. I know you know no, that. But that's not I'm it. Think, that's not that. Right. But I'm also thinking about how to render what I said differently. So it doesn't mm. ring like I'm only picking on Florida, right. you know, because right. again, there's terrible shit happening everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's so right. I, get that. I would say, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, for me, I think the, the, 
most straightforward example is the one Seth gave at the beginning, which is that you just have to be able to make fun of your own sacred canons. No, absolutely. You know, the the own the, the things that you take seriously, the things that, you know, kind of your signposts in the road that define who you are in a symbolic space. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to piss on those too. And as soon as you aren't, mm-hmm. you're getting into sort of this the territory of the sacred and the profane. And you're getting into and you're you're establishing a kind of tribalism. You, mm-hmm. you can make fun of this thing, you can't make fun of that. Agree. Agree. I wonder about and, the and dissonance. You're right. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. Um, I feel like I'm talking about over Seth all the entire time. No, Seth is like, no, thank you so much. I'm so sorry. No, no, Excuse me. No, That's you're, the fine. Your foot. you're fine. Um, you're fine. <laughs> um, and that is. Um, I wonder about the cultural, the dis. I don't know if it's the way to frame it, but it's this idea of what's happening in the media is happening in real time everywhere. I'm mm-hmm. concerned about that because I. You're skeptical of I'm it. I'm very is skeptical. That skeptical of it because yeah, I know nice too. people who aren't like you know shitting in the streets or slapping people or throwing hot soup in people's faces. You know, I right, feel like right, but they're amplified because through the media and then they're amplified even more thousands of times with people posting it. The people I can't even follow mm-hmm. on social media because they are obsessed with this kind of stuff and it just makes me sad or upset and I just and, and nauseous. It's very flat yeah. and, and nauseous and also a yeah. bit um fatigued. Do you know? Because mm. I don't want my lens to yeah. be clouded up with certain kinds of things, so I can't see exactly. you. You know. Exactly. So that's it. Exactly. That's all. Um, I want. I want to have. I want to sort of leave. This would be my sort of ending thought here. Um, not you know, knowing that we're coming up on time, not to you mm-hmm. know, push us to end right now. But um, there's something I, I immediately thought of when Stephen opened the the, the show, uh, talking about decorum, which is. Um, and I'm going to try to stress this analogy and hopefully it doesn't break. Okay. <laughs> Which is um, my, my sense of um, decorum, my, the, the way I would, would gauge someone's care about public decorum is how you leave mm. a public bathroom. Because the mm. way you leave a public bathroom has everything to do with how you feel about the person who you will probably never meet. Right, you will never mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say, like TMZ as an organization, mm-hmm. they would fuck that bathroom up. Like they would, they would oh, like that leave it be wrecked. Yes, exactly. Because because <laughs> oh, yeah. they because they don't care. Like they don't care what happens for the rest of us, right? Whereas me, mm-hmm. I would actually try to leave it a little better than I found it. Like I would, mm-hmm. it would be a little bit cleaner than I than okay. I found it. That's what I would want to do. Um, that's that's my sense of how. I need to be in public space and live so that um, other people's lives are easier and and a little bit a little bit a little bit better. Yeah, I I, I mean, the analogy of the public bathroom I think is great. Um, I, I would say if, if you know as far as decorum goes, you know the please and thank you and excuse me. You know it, the to take it back to to Stephen's kind of what setup. The reason that that works. <clears throat> Because if I bump into you on the street, I can't do anything about the bump. All I can do is say, I didn't mean to do that. Mm. Let me clarify my intention. Mm -hmm. My intention is that I did not mean to run into you. Mm. Or Mm. if I was staring at my phone, my intention was not to ignore you. And maybe then you're rightfully upset that I should have known because I'm in a public space and shouldn't have been behaving that way. So, So, but what we're trying to constantly 
clarify mm-hmm. in with our decorum and mm-hmm. in public disagreements is where was our intention. Mm-hmm. And I think we could benefit, certainly on the right, it, I don't talk about that as much because I don't identify with that part of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, but definitely on the left is that we could take people's intentions at face value more often. Not always. Sometimes you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's good reason to suspect that the person is being disingenuous. But I think there would be a lot more space, like Stephen asked for. There'd be a lot more room to say, excuse me, and I apologize, if we believe the people when they tell us that that's not what they meant. If we believe them when they say, you know, that wasn't the intent of my action. You know, it's not that, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that that might be a decent, you know, that might be a decent move to make. Seth seems very skeptical of of this. I'm just thinking of the people who say stuff like, well, yeah, like what well, I've just, um, well, I, this will you be know, last word. Steven's up on time. I, ca- I so called, I called president Obama a nigger, but I wasn't trying to be racist. I didn't mean to be racist. Oh, okay. So I, I think that that is super low hanging fruit and is, is, it is not at all an example of what I'm talking about. The word itself is a synonym for racism. Mm -hmm. So that would be like saying, I mean, it just, I can't even come up with another effective analogy in in a short period of time, but but the word itself is synonymous with, with racism. So that is not true of so many things though. So many. So for example, you could be against affirmative action and not be racist. Okay, let's pick, could, let's, let's pick this up. Let's pick this up next podcast cuz that I want to I want to okay. I want to see how that's possible. I want to I want to hear mm. the answer to that. Yeah. Okay. Oh. So I'm, I'm okay. writing this down. Right, okay, like, cool. You can be okay. against, <laughs> against affirmative action and not be racist. Okay. okay. <laughs> I feel like that one's too easy. No, no, like, no, no. Like, I got to come up with a harder one. No, I think it's rich. I think it's rich <laughs> because of what we understand affirmative action to actually be versus what it is. Mm-hmm. the way it was originally came off so i think it's a good it might be good okay yeah You're interested. Um, okay all right cool all, all right. right thank um, you guys so much so thank you for the topics you all right appreciate it okay. take care okay bye-bye bye, bye. bye. bye.